Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. All right, good morning and welcome, Sojourn, to our fall kickoff. Uh, It has been quite a few weeks since my family's been here. It actually feels a bit strange. I wonder if I remember how to do this because it's been six weeks since I've delivered a message. And so I'm sitting there thinking, do I remember like what's my role and, and, and all those components. And so um, while I'm thankful for the time away, I was able to be with my family and then visit my extended family. Um, I was reminded, especially because I read a book while I was on vacation called When Church Was Family, that you guys are my family. And in some ways, um, we're going to unpack this in the coming months, but in some ways, we should prioritize our relationship with God and our relationship with one another, even over our own biological families. And hopefully, I'll be able to explain that, like I said, over the coming months. Uh, but this weekend, we are starting a new series in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. We just saw a uh, summary of that book. If you're not familiar with the Bible Project, they are a great ministry located here in our city. Uh, gives great just overviews of entire books of the Bible. Uh, they actually have a, a coffee table Bible that is literally it's about this big, and you can go through it great for children, uh, especially if you're okay with them coloring it and drawing on it. I haven't let mine do that, but if you want to spend the money and let yours do that, that'd be great. But our emphasis is going to be remembering God's faithfulness when he seems silent. The 2020 COVID-19 pandemic Revealed suffering to us in a way that I think most of us have never experienced. And the further removed we are from the initial shock of the pandemic, I think the more we're reminded that life is just really difficult. That, that life is often just really, really hard, and it doesn't always make sense. And if we're completely honest, I know we're not supposed to say this in church, even for the life of a believer, that sometimes we're just left almost feeling hopeless. I'm going to adjust my mic real quick. Let's see if that does if that does any better. But if you look around our world, if you look around at history, and if you know much about history, you don't have to look very far or even just turn on the news, not right now on your phone, but after the service, to see suffering of some kind. I've just noted down several that are, are more known. Three million Africans forcibly transported by the British slave trade. Six million Jews murdered in Holocaust. The Rwandan genocide. Trafficking of more than 200 or uh, more than 2 million children each year to the global sex trade. Too many famines to name. The 2004 tsunami in Indonesia that killed more than 250,000 people. Children abused every day by their parents. School shootings. The quiet stealth of cancer. 9 11 attack on America, which we are remembering today. Etc., etc., etc. These world-shattering events have led many to ask this question. Where was God? After the 2004 tsunami, one reporter wrote, if God is God, he's not good. If God is good, he's not God. You can't have it both ways. Maybe you found yourself there. Whether in times of suffering in your own life or, or in bigger events around the world where you ask, where was God? Or maybe those around you, if you you say, I am a Christian, I identify myself with Christ, some family and friends around you, colleagues may have said, where was your God? 
when this event took place. Now, we've all heard stories of what I call known believers, uh, kind of our rock star Christians, which I don't think we really see that phenomenon in, in Scripture, but in the U.S., in our, our culture, in our, our country, we do see that. And we've heard these stories over the last several years of many of them leaving their faith. Usually it's a pastor who was known, maybe a Christian author or a musician, who says, I no longer identify myself now with Christ. And uh, for many people, if you grew up in church or if you're like me and some of those were kind of your, your heroes in the faith, it kind of leaves you stumbling yourself and going, what, what happened? Was it, was it real? Was it not real? That might even be you today. You may have found yourself in a season of questioning and wrestling with your own uncertainties about life, about God, about the Bible. And if that's you, we're glad that you're here. Because I think what we're going to find out is that Habakkuk is a very relatable character. He's a very relatable individual. And while we've heard the stories of the known Christians who leave their faith, I think what's sometimes unfortunate is the more common story that isn't often told because it doesn't sell uh, news headlines is the more common story of the unknown Christian. I'll go ahead and say that includes all of us in this room, the unknown Christian who has some of those same questions, who wrestles but embraces them and grows stronger in their faith as a result instead of walking away. And so this describes Habakkuk. And one reason we're studying this book is we're going to see an example of biblical faithfulness. These next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how to have faith when it is hard. When life isn't working out how you dreamed post-college, because we all had that dream, we all had that idea and that ideal of what it was going to look like, and when it doesn't look that way. When your marriage isn't great. When you're lonely and depressed. When you can't seem to ever get ahead on the bills, or right when it seems like you're getting ahead, a new bill or a car problem or something happens, and then you're back behind. This is a book for hurting and suffering people, which we all are in some way. And so this series is for everybody, but specifically for those who are living life and struggling to find hope in the midst of life's difficulties. It is for those of us trying to understand how can God be good when life is not? Now, my intention during this series is not to, to further discourage us, but I will go ahead and tell you in the front end, the first two chapters of Habakkuk are pretty dark. They're a pretty, pretty dark book and not very encouraging. So here's my encouragement to you. You have to stick with us, okay? Now, I know sometimes you hear that at a church and you think, oh man, this is, Matt, you spent six months going through First Peter. This is only going to be three to four weeks maximum, okay? It's three chapters, and so it's kind of like watching a mini-series of a TV show. And they set up the plot, and then you're like, oh, what's going to happen? So give us, give us the, the full three to four weeks. But the first couple chapters, just to be transparent, they're pretty dark. They don't end on a very good note. But what this series will hopefully do is lay out some biblical truths that may be hard for us to accept initially. But I guarantee that if you stick with us, you will find hope even when life is really, really hard. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into Habakkuk chapter 1. God, I'll come to you this morning. Thank you, first and foremost, for you. God, you've always been faithful to us, even when it doesn't seem that way. Even when we're uncertain and we're unsure. God, as I, even just looking at that video and then reading through this book this week, God, and I look at just uh, CNN and uh, Twitter and, God, just different places. I got, I got in my own news sources, and I see that doesn't seem that far off. 
God, I see a lot of injustice in the world. I see a lot of suffering that's happening in the world. And God, sometimes it leads us to ask the question, why? Sometimes it leads us to ask the question, where are you? And God, there's a lot of times that we don't know. And so I pray that this morning as we start this series in the next several weeks, God, that you will help us see that even when we're not sure, God, that you remain faithful to us and that as a result, God, you will allow us and empower us to remain faithful to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Now, this is one of those books, typically everyone's going to start thumbing through to the front of their Bibles, or they're kind of going like, where, where is this book? So to help you find uh, the book of Habakkuk, it is towards the end of the Old Testament. So if you find the New Testament, and you find the book of Matthew, and then you flip back about five books, you'll land on Habakkuk. And as you turn there, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this book, aside from what you maybe got in the video. Habakkuk is an Old Testament minor prophet who wrote a book 600 years before the birth of Christ. But he was a different type of prophet. Most prophets spoke to, uh, to um, the people on God's behalf. You know, God had delivered this word, and then they gave the truth to the people. Habakkuk, however, is different. Habakkuk actually speaks to God on behalf of the people because Habakkuk, like many of us, didn't understand what God was doing. And so he was crying out to God, saying, God, help me understand because I don't understand what is going on in life and why you're allowing these things. Now, Habakkuk lived in Judah, and Judah was the southern part of the kingdom of Israel. Israel at this time was about 1,500 years old, but it started out with one man who was called out by God to establish this nation. Now, Israel was given one very specific promise and purpose. They're supposed to bring blessing to other nations. Sounds easy enough. But there was one major problem. They weren't really good at their job. They continued to fail time and time again to fulfill the promise that God had given them to fulfill. So in 600 BC, around the time Habakkuk is writing his, uh, this book, the northern kingdom of Israel has already been destroyed. And the southern part, Judah, has become terribly wicked. We saw some of those examples in the video. They're, they're violent in an unjust government. They oppressed righteous people. They despised the poor. They were brutal to one another. And that's kind of putting it gently. As they said in the video, they treated them like animals. Worse, especially in our city. We wouldn't treat animals that way. We'd be arrested. And so we find the prophet Habakkuk wrestling through and asking these questions. Why? Why, God? Why are there righteous people who are being punished? Why are bad things happening to good people? Why does God still allow evil? Habakkuk is so distressed by these things same questions that I would argue that many of us are probably asking or have asked at some point in our life. It says, why are you allowing this to happen? So if you look at verse 1 of Habakkuk 1, it doesn't actually tell us a whole lot. It says, the oracle Habakkuk saw. Okay, thanks Habakkuk. What does that mean? It's essentially his burden. This is what he's witnessing. This is what he is observing and then starting in verse 2, we see what I'm calling the prophet's agony, which comes to us in the form of a prayer and a complaint. Go ahead and look at verse 2. Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? 
So Habakkuk starts this prayer asking the very same questions that we've all asked. How long, O Lord, must I call on you, but you do not listen? Have you ever felt like you've been praying to God, you've been crying out to God in desperation, and you're like, is, is there a radio frequency problem here? Because I don't think that you're hearing this. You know, oftentimes we'll experience this with maybe our spouse or significant other or a friend, right? And you're in an argument and you're like, I don't think you're understanding the words that I'm saying. But you can almost sense Habakkuk feels that way with God. Because he's like, God, do you not hear me when I'm crying out, when I'm praying out? Now, it probably sounds more like this for us. How long, Lord, must I call for help from my family for you to listen? How long, Lord, must I call for, cry for help from my marriage to actually improve? How long, Lord, must I call for help before I get a better job? How long, Lord, must I pray for X, Y, or Z before I actually see you act? This prayer by Habakkuk exemplifies one desperate to hear from God. At times, life might seem hopeless. And you find yourself wondering, why God? Maybe you thought giving your life to Christ and being part of a church family meant that these struggles of life would dissipate, that they would completely disappear and go away, like this is some kind of fantasy island, right? That would, that would be great. But now you found yourself asking, how much longer, God? Or maybe you found yourself like I have in seasons where you're like, God, come on. I went overseas. God, I sacrificed. God, I don't live near family. God, I went to seminary. God and God and God. And you're like showing God this resume. And you're like, come on, God, give me a break here. Or maybe you were a joyful person growing up. And you don't even know when it happened. But fast forward and you found yourself in this season of life where maybe you struggle to find any joy in life. And many, maybe there's many days that you actually find yourself feeling more on the depressed side than you are on the joyful side. And you don't realize when it even happened. You kind of look back and go, man, I was joyful as a kid. I remember I had a really good childhood, but somehow I found myself in this place of life. And so you start asking yourself, how do I maintain hope when life doesn't feel worth living? And you've cried out, why, God? How much longer, God, must I endure? Now, perhaps you're here and you're like, Matt, I'm not asking these questions. I'm not tracking with you at all. I'm very joyful. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure what you're talking about here, where this is coming from. Praise God. But I've learned in my decade of ministry that everyone at some point, and so you can probably point back to a former time where maybe you did struggle with this, or maybe there's a future time where you will struggle in some shape or form and ask these questions. I'll let you know a little secret. I was thinking about this this week. This doesn't always happen, but sometimes you, you preach through a book or a series or there's an emphasis, and you know, there's a struggle, and I was like, oh no, God, am I about to go through a season of suffering? <laughs> Should I change this series and do something that's like full of just joy, because I'm like, oh no, it doesn't always happen that way, but sometimes it does. But I guarantee that someone in this room is, is experiencing suffering. So it may not be on the global scale, some of those major examples, it may be on a personal level, maybe on a, on, a, on a family level. And so please hear my heart. This isn't meant to further discourage in any way. But I do want us to help us face the reality of the world we live in so that we can find hope by remembering God's faithfulness, even when he seems silent. When your marriage, despite best intentions, just doesn't go as planned. When you get passed up for that promotion at work, again. When that family member gets terminally sick and you're not really sure what the outcome is going to be. And you find yourself asking, how long, oh Lord, must I face this? 
Now Habakkuk's going to develop his complaint, which once again is in the form of a prayer, further in verses 3 and 4. So go ahead and look at verses 3 with me. He says, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk is lamenting because what he sees around him is contrary to what he knows about God. And so what he perceives this to be is God's inactivity. Like, God, I know that you are not this. So I feel, he feels like God's just kind of back in the lazy boy, just kind of watching things play out. And so for many people, it's not the exclusivity of Christianity that poses the biggest problem for them. For many people, it's the presence of evil and suffering in, in the world that still exists that poses the problem. And that's kind of their, their, their hesitation or the roadblocks saying, hey, I can't go further. I can't understand your Christian faith. I can't understand the God of the Bible because of this. And they'll point to some of these examples that I've already named. But I want us to take note, however, of Habakkuk. Although he doesn't understand God's ways, he's looking to God. He's, he's prayerfully in a complaint to God. Right? You probably don't hear about that often, that, that we're seeing this example of this biblical character who's complaining to God, yet he is still remembering God. So even though he doesn't understand He's still remembering God, remembering God's faithfulness. And so when we turn to the Lord and present our complaint to him in faith, which I think we can do, God, I think God gives us the freedom to do that, he will hear us and respond according to his purpose. And so even when you don't understand, I know it's probably not a popular thing, you don't hear it often, you think you've got to show up to church, right? You've got to wear your, your best clothes and put on this front, like, how's life? Like, oh, things are great. And inside you're like, I'm dying, I'm lonely, I'm depressed. I don't know if I can go on. I don't want to wake up tomorrow. I'm not sure if I can go to work. Don't do that. At least not sojourn. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be like a back and say, you know what? I'm really struggling to trust God right now. I'm really struggling to see God's faithfulness right now. I'm really struggling to be faithful to God right now, like the prophet Habakkuk. But I think what we see here is we can come to him with our burdens, with our worries, with our complaints. Now, I was trying not to mention this word. In fact, Andrea told me not to, but she's not. So I can mention this word that's very popular in our, our generation, deconstruction. But I want to simply say this. If you are deconstructing, let us help you reconstruct to Jesus and his way. Because I think Habakkuk finds himself in the same place. He's asking these questions. He's uncertain. He's kind of maybe taking some things away, putting some things in his place. And he's asking the same questions that many through Scripture find themselves asking. This is why the Bible is so relevant. Because you might go, oh, well, they didn't deal with this. They all just fully trusted God. No, they didn't. Their entire books of the Bible dedicated to suffering. Many of the Psalms talk about suffering. Lamentations. I mean, it's an entire book about lamenting. It's like, here it is. Here it is. It's, it's in our Bible. That would be a really depressing series. So one, one day we'll go through that. I'm going to make Ben do that one because he's one of the happiest people I know. Um, Ecclesiastes, Jeremiah, Job, just to name a few. These biblical authors, these characters that we look at, express their confusion over what they know about God on one hand and what they're practically facing in their life, and they don't see the two lining up. Jesus himself, okay, if those examples don't do it for you, Jesus himself prays right before his death on the cross in Matthew 27, 46. He says, about, about that ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Jesus himself, crying out to the Father, God, why have you forsaken me? 
It's almost like, God, why have you turned your face away from me? Now, most of our faith journeys, your story, your testimony, depending on how you want to phrase it, they start out with a realization that we need Jesus. There's something wrong in my life. You may not know how to articulate it, but you go, I, I need that. That's what I need. I need Jesus. I often refer to this as the camp high. It doesn't happen this way with everyone, but it happens this way with a lot of us. That you have this experience, and it's just like you're up on the mountaintop. There's nothing bringing you off of that mountaintop, right? Like you are just ready to go. But here's the thing with the camp high. It's like any high. It doesn't last. During the camp high phase, you can't get enough of the church. Like you, you're like, can we gather every day of the week? And you're just like thumbing through scripture. Like, did you know it said this? And you're just soaking up the word of God. You're, you're in prayer. You're going to extra worship nights at other churches, inviting everybody. And you're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm going to tell you about my Jesus. And you might do it in a forceful way. But you're like, everyone's going to hear about Jesus. Because my life can't get better. Seems like all your prayers are just being answered. You know, you're like, man, this is great. And you're honestly you're a little bit annoying to the rest of the people in the church. Like, all right, man, this is great. But can you calm down? But one day, here's what happens. And I've watched this happen so many times. One day you crash and you hit a low. And suddenly, you're no longer on that mountaintop. Now, you, you, you are down its opposite, and you're down in this valley. And you're confused. For some reason, it's like whiplash. You're like, whoa, I was up here, and now I'm down here, and it just seemed like it happened like that. And you start asking yourself, God, do you even care? Like, that's in the rearview mirror, but now here I am in here. And you find yourself in the middle of this internal battle. Because on one hand, you're still like, oh, I want to stay face to all the people that I've been interacting with. You know, like, hey, yeah. And you're still putting on the smile and you're splitting on the front. And so you feel like you're left with two options. Option number one is you deny the questions and you just pretend everything's okay. You know you're internally wrestling, but, but you're going to show up and you're still going to go through the motions of everything and be at the Bible study. And, you know, you're like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to suppress it like it doesn't exist. The second option that you feel like you're faced with is you just walk away. Now, I've seen both. This must not be true if I'm struggling with this. Because I was up here, now I'm here, and you just say, you know what, I'm done, and you walk away. And oftentimes when you do that, this, this wasn't in my manuscript, but oftentimes when you do that, you ghost the church and you ghost the people who you've been in life with. Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying not to go on a rant. Spirit of God be with me. Our values at Sojourner Gospel Family Mission, and that family piece, don't, please don't do that. Like it, it, at least for me personally, it, it genuinely hurts. I'm okay if people uh, do like the back if you struggle and you wrestle. I'm, like, I'm honestly okay. I'm not encouraging you to do this, but I'm okay if you go and find a different faith family. But don't ghost the people that, that you're doing like with the God has brought to you uh, with that ran over. But I believe there's a third option. So we think we only have these two options. But there's a third option, and I think Habakkuk is actually where we find this third option. It actually comes in the name Habakkuk. The name of Habakkuk means embrace or wrestle. What we discover is that the Habakkuk embraces God. You, know, you think about embracing, right? You embrace someone with a hug. You kind of lean in. He embraces God while simultaneously wrestling with his questions. He doesn't deny them. He doesn't pretend they don't exist. He doesn't walk away from God, but he simultaneously does both. He says, God, I have these questions, but I'm going to embrace you at the same time. Now, we see this with Job. We see this with Jeremiah and even Jesus, where they embrace God while they're wrestling. And so you might say, God, I don't get it, but I'm choosing to trust you. 
Now, here's the hard reality. Does life get better or easier when you embrace and wrestle? Sometimes. But most often it doesn't. Sometimes it actually gets worse. And so just because you, you, you know, even that, we can almost like, let's play this game and like trick God. Like, God, I'm staying. I have these questions. I'm embracing. God, it, work got harder this week. Or I thought, I got another fight. You know, it's, it's like oftentimes it doesn't. But then we were given a chance to embrace passages like James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, which says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Tony Fernandez says, here's the point. The way to true intimacy with God is not to live in the mountains. It is to get to know his faithfulness when you are in the valley. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think about, I was trying to think of different examples just even in my own life. And, we, and, we, and you might like to have one of these yourself, but... Um, my mom, who most of you got to meet this summer, she had cancer two different times. So the first time I was pretty young, probably about Elliot's age, and honestly, I was very confused. I don't think I'd ever heard of the word cancer, and I really didn't know what was going on other than I got to go sleep over at someone else's house, and, you know, like, oh, this is kind of fun. You know, I have no clue what's going on. Well, fast forward a few years later, my mom had cancer a second time. Uh, I was about 16. I was the only one left at home at that time, so obviously I was older, more mature, had a much bigger understanding and although externally I probably did more of the like, yeah, things are good, and we're praying, you know, we're praying, but I remember having like this internal battle and, and wrestling through and questioning God's goodness. Even though he healed her the first time, like, why did it come back? Why is she going through this again? And having to kind of face this reality of, God, I don't understand why you're allowing this. God, we already went through this suffering, and yes, you brought her through the other side, which not every family has that story, but why are we going through this again? but having to take the decision and saying, God, I'm going to trust you regardless of the outcome. Now, you've all met my mom, so praise God. She's been cancer-free. I don't even know how many years now. But it was still an experience that I went through in, in an internal season of questioning God's goodness in that moment. Our true faith doesn't show up when we're on the mountaintop. Because things are good, right? But when you're in the valley and you're honest with God and you say, I don't get it. God, I don't understand. But we look to God for his response, which he gives us in Habakkuk 1, verse 5. This is what I call his divine answer. So Habakkuk's done his complaint. He's prayed out to God. And then God comes in and says, Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. It's funny, I was actually heard a story this week of a pastor who said that he was at a youth camp and the speaker used this verse to the students. He said, look, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Well, if you just stop at verse five, or, or this guy, man, this is great. Well, we have to take verse six and, and the preceding verses with verse five. If this was a, what I call a feel-good sermon, guess what a feel-good sermon is? So I try to make you feel good, right? That's where I want you all to lead. Now, my intention is never make you feel bad. That's where I want us all to feel like warm and cozy feelings. And so I would, I would read this verse after we just went through the Habakkuk's honesty and say, and then they lived happily ever after. But this isn't a feel-good sermon. 
This is a biblical sermon. So let's look at verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. It's another way for the Babylonians. These evil people, they're, they're considered more evil than Judah. That bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is the God. Did you catch that? God says, judgment is coming, but not how Habakkuk wants it. He says, I'm going to use the evil people to destroy the evil people. (laughs) Essentially, God's answer is, you think it's bad now, Habakkuk? It gets way worse. I'm actually going to use your enemies to topple you because of their injustice and they had chosen other gods. This is when we have to turn to passages like Isaiah 55, 8, 9, which says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This makes absolutely no sense to Habakkuk. And you've likely found yourself there. What do you do when the answer that you're given by God makes absolutely no sense to you? Habakkuk continues to embrace and wrestle. You may have been taught that you're never allowed to wrestle through questions, your fears, your doubts. But I believe that scripture actually shows us something different. That a committed Jesus follower, maybe you thought, I can't be a committed Jesus follower if I do have these. I believe scripture shows a committed Jesus follower can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace God with a genuine faith in God. I mean, in some ways, that is the faith itself, right? Going, I don't have the answers. I have a lot of uncertainties, but I'm going to embrace and have faith. Now, society will say, kind of back to the news article from the 2004 tsunami, there's so much suffering in the world. How can you believe in God? And you may have had someone in your life who said something along those lines. I believe that our response, and that my response, is there's so much suffering in the world, which is why I believe in God. C.S. Lewis, you're probably familiar with who that is, describes how he had originally rejected the idea of God because of the cruelty of life. And C.S. Lewis was, was known for his, kind of his, what he called his new atheism. And that was, that's what he had embraced. And part of it initially was because of the suffering and evil he saw in the world. But then he came to realize that evil was even more problematic for his atheism. Hear, hear Lewis in his own words. There should be a slide with this behind me. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. Just how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he sees some idea of straight, unless he, he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality Namely, my idea of justice was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Church, we can wrestle with honest questions while fully embracing God. That is called 
faith. Finally, let's look at the first part of Habakkuk's response, his second complaint in verses 12 and 13, and we'll wrap up. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So we see in his prayer, he wrestles through theological challenges to his faith. What I love about Habakkuk is his wrestling is honest, it's blunt, and it's raw. It's not all pieced together. Have you ever been in a, let's just say a gospel community or maybe a small group or a Bible study that's not even connected to Sojourn, and you get that person who's new enough and naive enough to know that, you know, like in the, in the church culture, you're not necessarily supposed to be as raw and blunt, and you hear them make a prayer, make a statement, you're like, oh my goodness, like that was real, that was raw, that was blunt. That's Habakkuk. Habakkuk knows, but I think he gives us this example that it's okay to, to, to wrestle and have honest, blunt, and raw questions. Sometimes the strongest and most mature Christians can find themselves wrestling with God, just like Habakkuk. When it comes to these big theological mysteries and this, this kind of magnitude, that there's, they're uncertain. And here's Habakkuk's path, posture. I'm embracing while I'm wrestling. So if you're new to faith, God can handle your questions. God can handle your doubts. In some ways, the worst thing you can do is to deny that they exist at all and run away from God and run away from the church. Being honest about your doubts, being honest about your, your, your challenges, your struggles, might be the first step to a deeper faith in Christ. Because oftentimes in those deep moments of pain, that God will cause you to grow as you abide in him. He'll give you an everlasting hope that can only be found in him. And so we encourage you to embrace and to wrestle. And here's the thing. God hasn't designed it so you do that on your own. I know I've already hit on the value of family here, but he's given us one another. We talk about that journey and we're inviting all people on to learn what it means to follow Jesus and follow him faithfully. None of us are at the same place in that journey. Sure, some of us might say, oh, I've been following Jesus for this long. And we have the same kind of start date and like where we're at currently. But we're wrestling through. It's okay. God's given us one another to help us figure out how to trust him. And so we're left with the unknown. We're left kind of on this, this sour note to a degree. But I guarantee once we get to the end, it will end on a positive note. Because although he's perplexed, he's confused, he's wrestling, he doesn't change his theology. He doesn't waver in his faith in God. I think that's one of the big takeaways we're going to see with Habakkuk. It goes through these seasons that we're going through, but he doesn't change his theology or waver in his faith. He remains steadfast. I don't know if we're singing that song this morning, but that would have been a good one. If they'd always ask me, I'd never know what to tell them, but remain steadfast. That's what we see with Habakkuk. He keeps his eyes, his faith on Jesus. Because it's a real temptation for us. When we're uncertain, when we're having these doubts, it's a real temptation for us to walk away. And don't just think, well, because I have a right theology and a right doctrine and I, I use the right version of Scripture that I won't have these struggles and doubts. You will. Habakkuk still had them. He's still perplexed. Tim Keller, you knew, you knew that was coming. Say Christianity alone among the world religions claims that God became uniquely and fully human in Jesus Christ 
and therefore know firsthand despair, rejection, loneliness, poverty, bereavement, torture, and imprisonment. On the cross, he went beyond even the worst human suffering and experienced cosmic rejection and pain that exceeds ours. In his death, God suffers in love, identifying with the abandoned and the God forsaken. And why did he do it? The Bible says that Jesus came on a rescue mission for creation. For those of us who are suffering, he, he had to pay for the sins so that someday he can end evil and suffering without ending us, us who cause the suffering. You may still be asking, how can God be good when life is not? How can God be good when I look around our city, when I look around our nation, when I look around our world, all the suffering and justice that's happening? If you're still asking these questions, you're in good company. But as you look to the cross of Jesus, you might say, we still don't know what the answer is. But we can know what the answer is not. It cannot be that God doesn't love us, because he does. It cannot be that he is indifferent or detached from us or our condition. Because God comes, he takes our misery, he takes our suffering upon himself. He carries that burden of our weight and our suffering to the cross where he pays for it all. And so if we embrace the Christian teaching that Jesus is God, that he went to the cross, then we have a deep consolation and strength to face the brutal realities of life. And we can know that God is truly Emmanuel, God with us, even on our worst days, even in our worst moments of suffering. And so while this first chapter doesn't end so well or so encouraging, Chapter 2 isn't much better. So I hate to disappoint. Come back next week and be further brought down. But stick with us. I promise we're going to get to the good part. And we're going to see that Habakkuk will remain faithful. Even when God seemed silent. So here's what I'm going to do for us this morning. I'm going to pray for us to end uh, the message. And then Ben's going to come back up and lead us in the first song of response. Take this time to reflect on your life. Take this time to, to wrestle through those honest questions. And maybe, maybe you've, you've wrestled through them, and even though God knows our thoughts, but you kind of think, oh, God doesn't know because I really prayed this to God. Like, pray those to God. Just lay it all out there on the table. Take this time to reflect. Look to Jesus. Look to the cross. And we're going to respond this morning in communion, in the Lord's table. And so during the first song, take that time to be honest. Take that time to reflect. Um, if you haven't already, grab your elements that are on the table in the back. And then after the first song, I'll actually come back up and walk us through the, the, the fellowship meal, the act of communion, and then we'll finish out with one last song. So let me pray for us, and then Ben will come back up and lead us in worship through song. God, we come to you this morning. God, we just want to lay our hearts bare, lay our hearts out there, say, God, we don't always understand. God, many of us have questions or had questions or will have questions of, of why God or how long, Lord. And so, God, while we don't always have the answer, we don't always see the full picture, God, I ask that you would give us the power through your spirit, like Habakkuk, to wrestle, to be honest, while simultaneously embracing you. Because, God, we do love you. We do trust you. We put our trust in you. God, if there's those in the room this morning who 
feel like they're wavering in their faith. They're in a, they're in a season of doubt. God, let them know they're not alone and let them feel the openness to express that in a way that they can be surrounded by others who can, God, you've given us each other help us in this journey of life, in this journey of faith, um, following you. God, if there's those in the room who just say, you know what, I've, I've never put my trust in Jesus for some of these very reasons. God, I pray that your spirit would speak to them, move their hearts. God, um, move in their, their minds. Allow them to have a clear understanding that only you can give. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.